Hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you today, and welcome. Uh, it's so awesome to be together online, and uh, as we continue our series today, I want to just start by talking about Free Willy. How many of you remember that movie from the 90s, right? The big whale, and he had the curved fin, and he jumped over the rocks, and the kid, oh, Free Willy, right? How many of you remember that? Great movie, yes, yes, okay. Well, I, I see that hand, even if it's digital, I see that hand. But Free Willy, I had a cool experience when I was a teenager. I got to actually see the real whale, Free Willy. His name wasn't Willy, it was Keiko, so fun fact, if you're ever doing trivia some night, Keiko was actually uh, held in Oregon. He had this big tank in Oregon, and on a trip with my mom, we got to go see Keiko the whale. I got a shirt and everything for it. And seeing Keiko, uh, it just, it, it's very vivid when you see this big whale. It's like seeing a movie star, right? I mean, like, he is free willy. And I think that that led to this huge writing campaign that I read about uh, that actually it, it led to his freedom in 1999, this, this big push to get him out of captivity, and he was released. I don't know if you remember this, released off the coast of Iceland, and he was going to be free, and, and they tried to integrate him with pods and other wild whales and things like that. Keiko was, was captive for so long, he really struggled to just integrate into the wild again, and he had a hard time surviving. He didn't want to connect with the other pods of whales, and often he would go into the harbors and try to connect with humans, because that's what he was used to. He was used to these things, and so that's what he found himself doing, and he never really managed to hunt and survive and just explore the wild like he was made to do, and he ended up getting pneumonia in 2002. Poor Keiko, he passed away, and it's interesting that this creature that's designed for freedom, it's a wild animal. It's not meant to live in a cage. It's meant to be free. And yet the moment it's given freedom, doesn't know what to do because it's so used to being in captivity, so used to being held captive. And this idea of freedom is something we're going to be talking about today because it's a key theme in the book of Galatians. As you're reading Galatians, you're going to see Paul talk a lot about freedom. We are meant to be people who are free. And as we look at the gospel message in Galatians, we see that Jesus brings freedom into our life, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and part of that everything is freedom. And so today is about Jesus plus nothing equals freedom. You guessed it, freedom, right? We're meant to be free. You and I, we're meant to be free people. But in reality, do we live like free people? Or do we live more like captives? Do we live stuck? Do we live enslaved to something, uh, contained by something? Jesus came to bring freedom. Paul says this in Galatians 5.1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Paul is writing it very simple. Jesus frees his people. You and I are set free, right? That's what we're meant to experience. And there's two facets to this freedom, I think, to explore. One is a freedom from our sin. We get entangled in sin. We get held captive by sin. Sin is powerful. It is addictive. It's destructive. And it, it enslaves us. It, it holds us prisoner, right, to sin. Galatians 3.22 says this, that the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The whole world is a prisoner of sin. Meaning what? All of us get stuck in sin. All of us get ensnared and imprisoned by sin. And yet, it is faith in Jesus that sets us free from that. We're forgiven, we're rescued, we're, we're, we're set free. The power of sin is no match for the power of God. 
And Jesus came to bring that with death on the cross, his resurrection. Man, oh man, he brings power to things that held us captive. We are free in Christ. And yet, the freedom we find from our sin, we as humans tend to live in that freedom. And much like Keiko the whale wandering around in freedom, we tend to go back to what's familiar. And we don't just go back to sin, we go back to captivity. We find our own captivity. We create captivity. And it may not be by getting stuck in our sin again and again and again, but it may be stuck in this new captivity, a captivity of legalism. Because we have this desire to figure out how we can stay pure, how we can stay forgiven, how we can stay loved by God, how do we stay rescued. And that eats away at us, and so we find ways that we could try to control that. And that control, that desire, that insecurity, that pressure, it leads to another captivity, captivity of legalism. But Jesus came to bring freedom from that legalism. He came to set you free. And even though we as humans, we, we tend to latch on to rules and commands and instructions, we, we, we kind of live that way, right? We want to do the right thing, and, and we may not do the right thing all the time, but there's a part of us that wants to do the right thing. And, and I think part of it is just simply we want to impress God. We want God to like us. Right? You believe that there's one true God out there and he made you and, and there's part of you that wants to get into heaven and so we try to figure out, well, God, how am I going to get into heaven? I'm going to impress you. I want to get into an it crowd when I'm in junior high. What do I do? I impress them. I slick my hair back. I wear the fancy clothes. I put on the shiny shoes. I don't know. I sound like I went to school in the 20s. But I, <laughs> I try to fit in. Well, we try to do that with God. God, if I just adapt and clean myself up and act right, I'm going to fit in with you. You're going to accept me. And so we get this idea of Jesus plus following all the rules equals God's acceptance. And you could use any phrase or synonym for following the rules. God, uh, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus obedience, Jesus plus perfection. We add that into the equation, all thinking that we are going to be accepted by God, forgiven by God, in eternity with God. And that end equation result is what Paul would describe as being justified, that we seek to the justification of God. And that's a $10 church word. That's a big one right there, justification. What does that mean? It, it, think of it in, in legal terms. You are declared innocent. You are uh, meant to be, uh, you, are, you are declared acceptable. You are justified in, in this ruling. And think of it in the legal sense when, a judge declares you not guilty, you are justified in taking off those handcuffs and leaving the courtroom and going wherever you want, right? You're justified in doing that. But if you were declared guilty, you would not be justified in leaving. You would be required to stay there, go back into incarceration, and possibly even die in your cell. Like that is what has been declared. Well, justification means that God looks at you and declares you innocent. And you are justified to be in heaven. You are justified to be in relationship with him. You are acceptable to God. And so we've created these false equations. Jesus plus obedience equals justification. Jesus plus good works equals God's acceptance. But that's a false equation because that's not the reality. Because if that's the equation we're operating with, then, well, Jesus and all the grace and the free gift of God's love and his sacrifice really means nothing to us because We've had to attach ourselves into this equation to make it actually prosperous, to actually work, to actually function. And so we actually negate the work of the cross, the work of Jesus, and make it all about ourselves. And so it really isn't Jesus plus obedience equals justification. It's Jesus plus obedience equals legalism. Because we take the gospel message, we add a bunch of rules to it, 
And what we end up doing is creating this pressurized spirituality of legalism where I gotta do right and God will like me enough, right? And we just keep feeling that pressure. You ever feel that pressure of being good enough for God? That's a legalism that's created by this Jesus plus works mentality or spirituality. And really that legalism isn't the end result even of itself because that legalism is eventually going to lead to what? A captivity. We're held captive by that. We're captive by this pressure and this weight on our shoulders to try to impress God and deserve his love and be good enough for him. And Paul writes this letter to the Galatians trying to break them of this mindset to say this captivity is something Jesus came to break us of. He came to set us free from the captivity of our sin and the captivity of our legalism. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul, continuing to read that same verse we just started, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, even here Paul is saying, you've experienced freedom in Christ, and yet what do you do? You continue to go back to captivity. You're creating a captivity. You're returning to a captivity, right? You let yourself be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. And for them, it's that legalism. It's, it's this idea that you had all these Jewish Christians Paul's writing to and these non-Jewish Christians that Paul's writing to, and he's seeing that the Jewish Christians are imposing the Old Testament Moses' law on them. And imposing these rules on them is creating this legalism. It's creating this pressure. It's creating a captivity. It's creating a slavery for them. And the thing that Paul goes hard and fast on and being against is the adding of the law to the, to the gospel message. It's not Jesus plus the law. And for him, when he says the law, what he means is the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And that's the Mosaic law, the law that Moses got from God to give to the people of Israel, right? And so those people, they took those laws and they followed them. It was the Ten Commandments. It was rules about the Sabbath, dietary restrictions, this practice of circumcision. You were definitely going to do that, right? And so that is being pushed on all these non-Jewish Christians. And Paul is seeing the captivity that is being created. Why are you going back to this? What are you doing? Wake up. And he's adamant that Jesus came to set us free of that kind of pressure. And continuing on in chapter 5, he says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Paul is vehemently going against the idea that you earn your salvation, that you earn God's acceptance, or you earn your spot into heaven. And you see that as all these people are trying to be justified by obeying the law. What is the language that he uses? In verse 2, he attacks it. He says, if that's your approach, Christ is of no value to you. In verse 3, he says, if you are trying to earn your salvation by following the law, what does he say? You are obligated to follow the whole law. If you're trying to be perfect, you better be perfect. <laughs> that's what he's saying in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, if you're trying to do this, if you're trying to add the law to the gospel, guess what? You are alienated from Christ and you've fallen away from grace because there's no room for grace in that equation. In fact, we have added all of these works that we have to do to be saved and we've ac actually subtracted Jesus from the equation. We've subtracted him from it. 
There's no longer Jesus in the equation. It's just you be a really good person and earn your spot into heaven. That's what we've done. Now, theologian and historian uh, and pastor Martin Luther said, if you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. Let me read that one more time. Luther says, if you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. So what Luther is basically saying is, how many of us feel good enough to deserve heaven right now? Because if you're not going to trust just solely in the gospel, solely in the grace and the work of Christ on the cross, then you better be good enough to deserve it. Because if you're not going to count on him, you can only count on yourself. And you think about that, how many of us really deserve heaven right now? Yikes. Not me. I want you to ponder this for a moment. As Paul is focusing in on the law and the Old Testament law and all those rules, and he's focused very much on circumcision, uh, that is a huge theme for him as you read in Galatians. What are the current examples of things that you see in the American church that get uh, emphasized and create a religious pressure or legalism within church? Right? What are the examples of things that people push and, and, and say, you've got to do this? What's the checklist that comes to mind that you see within the American church nowadays? What are the things that you have to do? You want to be a good Christian? You want to make sure God loves you? You want to be accepted by God? You've got to do these things. What comes to mind? Ponder that for a second. If you're watching uh, at 10 a.m., throw some ideas in the chat. We'd love to see what you come up with. Right? And uh, if you're sitting around with other people, ask them, what, what are things that the church pressures you to do? Think about that. No offense here. You're not going to hurt my feelings, right? We're looking at the church, not just Hub City Church. What are those things? Let's pause and think about that for a second. Because I can think of a few. I think of, what about water baptism? That salvation gets so attached to water baptism where you see in the churches today sometimes that, well, if I'm not baptized, I'm not getting to heaven. Because it says I have to be baptized. There's such a pressure to get baptized. If I don't get baptized, I can't get into heaven. What about, I've heard, I've, I've heard this before, church membership. Now that's a kind of archaic part of church polity. But there are people that have told me in other churches they've been a part of, if they didn't sign on the dotted line, they questioned their salvation. Like pastors did that. What about church attendance? How many people just feel pressured? Like, well, I, I want God to like me, so I'm going to go to church or I'm going to read my Bible, or I'm going to pray, or I'm going to worship, I'm going to tithe. Some of these things get so attached to God's approval of you that you feel like under the microscope, like, okay, God, I guess I'll do these things to make you happy. What about purity? As a kid that grew up in church, as somebody that was a youth pastor, I tell you what, there is a message of purity that we impose on our teenagers that if they mess up, we shame them. We... we, we create such pressure on our teens to live a pure lifestyle. And, and when they make mistakes or struggle with their sexuality and struggle with their purity or have questions even, what do we end up doing? We unintentionally or intentionally, we shame them and we belittle them and we put such pressure on them to, to be perfect in these things. Maybe you feel that pressure on other practices of you know, the language and vocabulary you use, the habits you have, other things like that that come to mind. And what we've done is we've taken good things and we've made them requirements. We've made them essential. You can't get to Jesus without doing these things. You have to be perfect in that. And Paul's trying to correct this mindset. 
Galatians 2.16, he says, A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we can't get right with God by doing all the rules. That's what Paul's saying. Very simply, it is only by faith in Christ. And I know what you're thinking. Well, then why don't we just throw out the law? Why don't we just do whatever we want? Get rid of the rule book, right? Let's just figure it out and then just ask Jesus to forgive us and we're good. But that's not what Paul's saying. As you read Galatians, he would never say, well, just throw the law out. Just skip over the Old Testament laws and rules. And I've heard Christians even today say, you know, we don't need to read the Old Testament. We believe in Jesus. And the, the, the Old Testament is so impactful and so important to uh, our journey as Christians because when we read that, when we read the Old Testament law, one, we see how easy it is to get captive, right, and caught up in that legalism as they were for generations. Paul talks about that in Galatians, talking about how in chapter 3 he says they became prisoners of the law. They were locked up until faith was revealed. That's in 323. Uh, he shows that humanity has this propensity to get stuck in the law, right? And we get that, but if we just throw out the Old Testament, we never see that. We never learn from history. And we also don't see what he says in verse 24, where the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. The scriptures exist to show us our need for Jesus. When you look at the law, it's not so that you will become uh, a rule follower, but you begin to look at it and see, yeah, I can't do that without Jesus. There is no way to get there without Christ right? It's like this basketball hoop that I found. Look at that shot, right? You would never make it. It's 20 stories in the air. It is impossible. Well, guess what? Following all the rules in the Old Testament law, it's impossible. But because it's impossible, we don't just chuck it out the window. It just shows you need Jesus. We need Jesus. In fact, I, I don't think Paul would say, just get rid of the law. The law is stupid. Jump over the law. Get rid of it. Jesus didn't say that either. Think about when Jesus talked about the law in the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? I came to do what? Not to abolish the law, not to eliminate the law, but to fulfill it, to complete it. So the law is important. The law shows us the journey God has with humanity. It shows our need for a Savior. It shows that we will never measure up without Jesus. And Jesus came to do what? Fulfill the law, complete the law. He came to do everything that was encapsulated in it, not to get rid of it. And so if he's completed it, he's fulfilled it, then why are we so busy trying to add to it, trying to do it ourselves? And I say it with a smirk on my face because I, I do that, right? If I just work a little harder, if I try to check these boxes, God's going to like me. And Jesus, I think, would smile at you and say, I've already taken care of that. What are you doing? And it kind of reminds me of what happens in our house in Thanksgiving almost every year. Maybe this happens in your home where we make a lot of dirty dishes because of the meal. We have a lot of people over, and so people do the dishes, and they don't all fit in the dishwasher. And so I like to use the dishwasher. Some people don't. They like washing things by hand. And so they put all these clean dishes on the counter to dry. And usually I'm the guy. Maybe you're the guy in your house or the gal in your house that does this. You take all those clean dishes on the counter. Once the dish load in the dishwasher is done, you empty it out and put all those dishes into the dishwasher. And no, no, no doubt about it, I'm going to have somebody ask, why are you doing that? They're clean. Didn't you see? Like, they, they washed them by hand. And what are we going to say? Well, just to be sure, just to be careful, just, to be, just in case, right? Maybe it's even because, without saying it ever, I maybe don't trust their hand-washing abilities. And so I'm going to trust the, the machine to do it. 
And how many of us are doing this with Jesus? He's already forgiven you. He's already washed you clean of your sin. He's already justified you to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. And yet we add to it and say, well, just in case, God, I'm going to do this, this, and this for you. Just to be sure that I'm going to get into heaven, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to check these boxes. Maybe it's because I don't really trust that an invisible God loves me like that. Because it's hard to trust in a God that I can't see. So what I can see is I will do these things right. We won't like to say it like that, but that's what we're thinking and feeling on the inside. But Jesus came to bring us freedom. That's what Paul's getting at. He's not throwing out the law. He's saying don't be captive to the law. Don't be stuck in the law, but be free in Jesus. And he brings that freedom into a different perspective for us in Galatians 5, verse 6 and 7. Again, talking about circumcision, and he brings this perspective on what freedom can look like. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think what this does is it begins to change our perspective from have to to get to. It changes our perspective from all the things we have to do for God to love us. I have to be circumcised in order to get into heaven. I have to be water baptized in order to get into heaven. I have to go to church in order for Jesus to like me. I have to start tithing in order for God to love me. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And what do we do? We just build in this theology of perfectionism and legalism and have to, have to, have to, have to. And Paul says, none of that has any value. Stop it. He's giving you permission to stop. Stop trying to add to your justification. Stop trying to rewash the dishes of Jesus. None of that has any value on whether you're clean. God loves you and accepts you because of your faith in Jesus. And that faith is going to do what? It's going to lead to faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. So instead of a have to, now it's going to be a byproduct. It's a get to. It's an overflow because of that faith that we have. So our faith in Jesus equals a life of everything that we get to do. I get to be water baptized so I can publicly show what God has done in my heart. I get to worship. I get to go to church because I get to be with the family of God. I get to honor my wife so I learn what it means to truly love someone. I get to love my kids and serve my kids so that I have the heart of my heavenly Father. I learn to love my enemies so that I can learn to be more like Jesus. I get to, I get to, I get to. I don't have to do that, but I get to do that. Why? Because it is a faith in Jesus now expressing itself in love. It's not have to do it so that I am loved. It's I get to do it because I am loved. Huge difference. And that's what Paul's getting at. That's what freedom can look like in our lives. And church, that's what I want for us. I want us to be a church that lives free. Now, one of the ways I would illustrate this in closing is with Coach Pete Carroll. I love the Seahawks. I love Pete. Man, I'm a big fan of him. And I know some of you don't like football and sports and all this. You're like, oh, great, another football analogy. But I love what Pete Carroll's philosophy is for teaching his players. 
Some coaches, they teach their players, it's all about your assignment, it's all about what you're supposed to do, get your head in the game, do your job, know your assignment, don't mess up. They play it to perfection, and players get stuck in their heads, and they hesitate. Oh, was I supposed to go this way? Oh, I messed up. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Right? And then you have Pete Carroll. And he's teaching his players through meetings and strategies and planning and everything. They're giving him the lingo and the plans and assignments and everything like that. But when they get on the game field, his philosophy is, I want you to run and play free. I don't want you playing stuck in your head. Because if you're stuck in your head, you're going to second guess and you're going to hesitate. And when you hesitate, you won't be there to make the tackle. You'll miss the tackle. You'll miss the ball. So I want you to run and play free. I want you to have fun. I want you to get out there and go. I don't want you stuck in this analysis paralysis that can take place. And I wonder how many of us have grown up with a similar theology and a spirituality like these other coaches. Because they've ingrained in us, if I mess up, I'm going to get benched. If I mess up, I'm going to get cut. And we do that in our church world. If I mess up, man, God's going to bench me. God's going to cut me off the team. I'm not going to be a part of God's family anymore. But God wants you to run free. Don't be concerned and worried. Is this going to please God? Is this going to make him love me more? Is this going to make me more innocent, more accepted to him? No, go love and, and live free, right? Go live that out. Let it be a faith expressing itself through love is a love that is not contained by insecurities and doubts and worry about being perfect. Just run and play. Go have some fun. Let's not live under that pressure. Now, next week we're going to talk about what it looks like to live out uh, this, this gospel message through a life of righteousness and, and spirit-filled living. That is a byproduct of the gospel in our lives. But today, we can't get to, the, to, to how we live that out until we get this simple point. You are free. Jesus loves you. It is by faith that you are innocent. It is by faith that you're accepted. It is by faith you're a part of the family of God. That's it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. That's, it's, it's that simple. Now go live free. Let's pray. Church, we're going to pray right now. and I want to pray for anybody right now that wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. This is important. It just gives opportunity to, for you to respond. And if you're watching online, you can click the little button and somebody will pray for you right now. But I want to pray for you watching and, and we'd love to follow up with anybody if this is your first time making this prayer or you're making it for the first time in a long time, we just want to join you in your journey with Jesus. This is exciting stuff. I think it's the best decision you'll ever make, all right? I want to pray for you right now. Jesus, we just pray for anyone right now making a decision to follow you. Your gospel is simple. You loved us first before we did anything. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We don't merit it in any way. God, your love transforms us. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins you would be the king of our life, be our savior. Welcome us into your family, God. Wash us clean, break us free of the captivity of our sin. I pray also for those that feel stuck in legalism. They feel stuck in the pressure to be perfect. They feel that they've been trying to earn your love for too long. I pray, God, that you would set us free of that. Help us to understand what it means to go love and to go live out that love in real ways and help us to live free. We love you, Jesus.
In your name we pray. Amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.